Well, good morning again. Welcome to St. Paul's. Whether you're joining us online or in person, uh, we're really glad you're here on this day of Pentecost. And so many of you got the red and orange memo. Fantastic. The late Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, famously said this, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. There was something astonishingly attractive about the Christian message when it was first heard, making it spread like wildfire 2,000 years ago, something that drew people from across all racial, sexual, economic, intellectual, and philosophical divides. And that's something, the gospel, had a simplicity, a surprising inclusivity, because it was the same message for every single human being. For me, for the re-elected Doug Ford, for Abodia, for Her Majesty the Queen, for Tim and I's daughters, and for you. Here it is. God loves you just the way you are. And, and... Because God loves you, God has no intention of leaving you this way. God is the ultimate change agent, loving us despite ourselves, and at the very same time, wanting to turn our lives upside down. And there's not a single person in this room, or online, who's not interested in changing something about themselves wanting some aspect of their lives to be different, no matter how happy or uh, content you may be in this exact moment. God loves us and yet wants us to become more like Jesus. It's that simple. And if you're spiritually searching and not sure that's a good offer, Jesus is the humblest and yet most confident person in all of history, the strongest in suffering and yet still able to find joy in daily life. Jesus is the life of every party, the most effective leader in every meeting, and the one friend who can say to you truly, I know what you're going through. Becoming more like Jesus, it's a good offer. Which is why Pentecost Sunday is such an exciting day, when we remember the gift of the Holy Spirit, whose role it is to make us more like Jesus. Christmas was God with us. Easter is God being for us. And Pentecost is God being in us. And through our E100 preaching series, we heard how God came to be with us in the flesh at Christmas. And then at Easter, God was unrelentingly for us by paying the bill for our sin and rebellion on the cross. And then today at Pentecost, we see how God wants to live in us, transforming us from the inside out. It's a, an inside job. God with us, for us, in us. Let's unpack this record from the book of Acts and see how the Holy Spirit wants to work in our lives and what that's going to look like for us, whether we're a spiritual searcher or already a disciple. It's Acts chapter 2 if you want to call it up on your phone or find it in the back of your pew Bible. Now before Jesus was crucified, he had told his earliest followers who were panicking about what to do without their leader that God would send the Holy Spirit to be with them and that uh, this Holy Spirit would be none other than the Spirit of the risen Jesus and that the last breath 
that Jesus breathed on the cross would actually turn into a mighty wind that God would send hurtling through a top floor room in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, an ancient Jewish harvest festival. God was going to make sure that Jesus' followers were inheritors of the breath of Jesus, and God was going to do it in eye-catching style. The disciples had been thrilled to spend time with the risen Jesus. He'd cooked some meals, and presumably there had been some late-night conversations. But about 10 days before the story that we heard uh, this morning, the risen Jesus had ascended back to be with God the Father. Cue our passage from Acts chapter 2. There are about 120 of them on the top floor of someone's house. We don't know whose. Uh, The historian Luke records for us, uh, probably not socially distant, moping around, wondering what to do next. Do we go on LinkedIn and look for new jobs, or do we sit tight? When a holy hurricane burst upon them, and before any of them could get under a table, the hurricane blew right through the entire house, sparking flames of fire amid the debris and mess, flames that didn't burn the house down, but instead landed on each of their heads, filling them with the Holy Spirit. God does eye-catching well. Then, something pushed this new breath out of them into languages that they didn't speak. Back in the earliest mist of history, the Bible records a time when all humanity spoke one language, making life a lot easier. But because we are, well, you know, human, we weren't content. And we wanted to take God's place in the world, and so we built a great tower the Tower of Babel. And the impact of this folly and pride was that we began to fight, and we descended into different languages. So it's not surprising that the sudden speaking of different languages that now everyone could understand, the beginning of the reversing of what happened at Babel, had such an impact in Jerusalem that day because Jerusalem was full of devout Jews gathered for the festival of Pentecost who all knew the story of the Tower of Babel. And if not historically true, although the Babylonians did build great towers, ziggurats, this story recorded on the fringes of oral prehistory was and is a true representation of the reality of human linguistics and human conflict. God does eye-catching well. And people from all over the world are now leaning in through windows and pushing through doors, surprised to hear someone speaking in their own language so far from home. Libyans stuck their heads in expecting to see other Libyans, Arabs looking for Arabs. But all they saw was some Galileans, a bunch of uneducated rural types dressed in the first century equivalent of construction gear all of them going on and on about the incredible things that God has done through history. They were preaching the E100 series, like a bunch of Middle Eastern uh, PhDs. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? In our languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. And before the day of Pentecost was over, 120 had become 3,000, 
Confused people have become certain. Frightened people have become bold. And the disciples who didn't think they could tie their shoes without Jesus, they had discovered a qualities and abilities that they hadn't had before. They opened their mouths and they sounded like Jesus. They laid their hands on sick people and it was as if Jesus himself had healed them, all because they dared to inhale. The spirit of the risen Jesus, the Holy Spirit, had filled them to overflowing, transforming them from the inside out. Peter, who recently had been too scared to even acknowledge that he knew Jesus to a slave girl, he now stood up and gave one of the most impactful speeches of all time. Think Martin Luther King Jr. giving a TED Talk. Peter takes all the Old Testament scriptures that his hearers already believed, and he demonstrated how they pointed to Jesus as the yes to all of God's promises. Peter starts with the Old Testament prophet Joel. God now pouring out God's spirit on all people, no longer dwelling only on special anointed leaders. Her Majesty the Queen, 70 years ago, it's extraordinary, was anointed with holy oil in Westminster Abbey by the Archbishop of Canterbury, representing her anointing by the Holy Spirit. It was the only part of her coronation deliberately not shown on television. But the prophet Joel was saying that God would dwell now not only with monarchs, but could be within young and old, men and women, slave and free, a radical inclusivity that was and still is astonishingly attractive. God loves us just the way we are. But because God loves us, God has no intention of leaving us this way. How does the Holy Spirit, working as the ultimate change agent, work in our lives and transform us? Very quickly, two things. Remembering that the purpose here is to make us in our daily lives, whether we're picking up the kids from school, trying to get sober, studying for the LSAT, or struggling with loneliness. Whatever our daily lives consist of, the purpose is to make us more like Jesus. Number one. It's the Holy Spirit who takes objective knowledge and makes it subjective in our lives. It's one thing to know how many kilometers there are in a marathon, but quite another to have run one. We can know lots about the Christian faith, but that doesn't mean we've met the risen Jesus and decided to follow him. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, to take objective knowledge and make it subjective in our lives. You can know with your head that Mozart is magnificent music, but it's quite another thing to hear the strains washing over you. You experience it, you sense it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to take objective truth about who God is and make it experiential in our lives being experientially aware of Jesus, not just knowledge. It makes us more like Jesus. Number two, the Holy Spirit makes us more like Jesus by being our legal advocate. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, another first century writer, John, used a Greek word, paraclete, 
to describe the Holy Spirit. And it's a notoriously difficult word to translate into English. It's made up of two words, para, which means to come alongside, and kleo, which means to declare, to argue in a court of law. And the Holy Spirit's job is to be our legal advocate, to come alongside us and argue with us, who defends us against the enemies in our own heads and hearts. And if, like me, you are learning how to follow Jesus Christ, there are going to be times when you will make some terrible choice. And a friend says to you, or your Twitter feed, I can't believe you did that. You call yourself a Christian? And as guilt grips your heart, the Holy Spirit is right there arguing with you. No! God loves you just the way you are despite the disastrous choice you made, but God has no intention of leaving you that way. Repent. Repent, Jenny. Return to the Lord who loves you. Or another way of thinking about this idea of the Spirit as our advocate. There's a dramatic TV show uh, called Interventions. You may have seen it. Uh, when people whose lives are being torn apart by drugs or alcohol are confronted by their friends on live television in order to get them help. And the Holy Spirit acts like a loving friend uh, who sees how choices we are making have the potential to destroy us in obvious ways, like drugs and alcohol, but in more subtle ways, comfort, leisure, wealth. They can all lure us away from God and from living lives of sacrificial service. And when this begins to happen, the Holy Spirit will take us into a corner, take us by the shoulders and say, you're killing yourself or you're fooling yourself. I love you. I'm not going to let this happen to you. The Holy Spirit is a friend whose love has some guts to it. You know, not just sentimentality masquerading as love. And at Pentecost, we see how God's love for us is not a pampering love, but a perfecting love. The Holy Spirit, holy hurricane, not sent to pamper us, but to perfect us, to shape us into the glorious person that God means us to be, shaping us more like Jesus. So the Spirit whispers in our hearts, look what Jesus has done for you on the cross. There's nothing in this world that can now defeat you. There's nothing in this world, not even death, that can ultimately separate you from that love of God. And if you've ever been aware of that fact in your life, even for a moment, and even if today is the first time, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Now, while I know some of them because you tell me, I don't know all the ways that you want to change in your life. There are character traits that you want. Integrity, ability to withstand peer pressure, the kind we experience at 19 and still faces us at 49. You want confidence. You want contentment. And there's other changes you desire that you haven't shared with anybody. And whichever changes will make you more like Jesus, the Holy Spirit can do that. The Holy Spirit can grow that in your life. All we need to do is repent, which enables us to be open, ask, 
and then be patient. It's a lifelong journey. The worst thing I could do as a preacher on Pentecost would be to talk about the Holy Spirit and then not create space for us to encounter the Holy Spirit. And I make no claims to be Peter today with a sermon that God is going to use to turn 120 into 3,000. But let's take a moment now to think of one change in your life that would make you more like Jesus. It's a good offer. And ask God the Holy Spirit, God in us, to begin that process of transformation. I, I'm going to pray, come Holy Spirit. I'll leave a brief period of silence, don't worry. And then I'm going to invite you to join me with a prayer that will appear on the screen. So whether you're online or in person, let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit and make us more like Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Friends, let's pray together with the prayer that you'll see on the screen. It's from St. Augustine in the 4th century. Let's pray. O Holy Spirit, descend plentifully into my heart. Enlighten the dark corners of this neglected dwelling and scatter there thy cheerful beams. Thanks be to God. Amen.